Health Hour on cliffcentral.com. Very good morning to you. My name is Jonathan Sinclair and I'm standing in for Dr. Cindy this morning on Health Hour. We're giving our doctor a little bit of a break for the December holidays so she can regroup and come back fresh. Uh, today, a very important show being the holiday season and being that we're all at home, a lot of us are on leave, a lot of us are traveling, but this is a time when accidents do happen. There is a lot that we need to know and it may not be the funnest topic that you want to hear about. Uh, you know, I don't want you to think of it as a Downer. I want you to think of it as just looking out and being aware and just being more conscious in the moment and saving lives. So I'm going to be talking in just a moment to Richard Mulder, who's from Netcare 911. Uh, he's going to just be giving us some tips and just some practical things in everyday life that we can do to ensure the safety of our loved ones, of ourselves, of the community. Uh, very excited also in the second half of the show, I'm going to be speaking to somebody who has beaten and survived cancer as a creative director. Con Bertish has been developing new ways of innovating life and making things simpler. And when he was diagnosed with cancer, he decided to also find solutions and find ways of making his life better. And, uh, he managed to beat his cancer. He's, he's going to be joining us on Skype and telling us his full story. Also, how you can keep up with them. He's doing amazing talks and getting people just to be more inspired in their lives. So we'll keep up with him and see how that's going. But yeah, let's introduce my first guest, uh, Richard Mulder. Thank you so much for coming to the show. I know uh, you guys are very busy this time of year. But interestingly enough, the people in Gauteng actually get a bit of a break this year because everyone is traveling outside of Gauteng. That's true. Thank you, Jonathan. And uh, hello to the listeners. Um, definitely, yeah. Gauteng is a bit quiet this time of year. Unfortunately, accidents do happen, like you say. Um, and as much as we'd love to be completely quiet, that isn't always the case. Mm-hmm. Um, the important matter really is, is A, that prevention is always better than cure. Yeah. And we'll be talking a little bit about that. Uh, but also that if one knows what to do in those first few critical seconds, it makes our job a lot easier when we get there to really do the, the big stuff and, and get them sorted out when it's something serious. Okay, so Richard, let's just talk about your role at Netkin 911. Uh, you're quite a big shot there, I do know that. <laughs> <laughs> um, sure, I'm, I'm the clinical head for Netkin 911, mm-hmm. so it is, I guess it's my job to make sure that everyone's on the straight and narrow from a professional point of view and, and mm-hmm. that we, that we know what we're doing, which is, yeah. is thankfully for me quite an easy task with all the professionals and, and, and well-qualified individuals that we have working for us. Okay. All right. So I was speaking to a few um, paramedics a few weeks ago, actually last week, I think on the show or two weeks ago. And we were speaking just about how when people are at their worst, you guys are there. And uh, you guys obviously see a lot of people, you see a lot of things, but you don't realize the impact that you have on those people that are there and they're going through the worst time of their lives and you guys are there supporting them. They remember you forever. Sure, sure. It's, it's a it's a fair responsibility, you know, when you put mm-hmm. it that way in particular. Um that that we I think are very humbled as a as an industry and professional as a whole to be you know in, able to support people in those sort of situations. Um but yeah, it's it's we don't like to have to do it. Mm-hmm. I think none of mm-hmm. us we, we all enjoy our jobs but we but none of us want to really be there at those times and want to have to be there. We'd rather prefer people to stay safe and, and, and keep it keep it good and, and healthy. Okay, well, let's just find out what are the major calls. Um, it is December, it is holiday time. Uh, so at this time of the year, what are the biggest calls that you guys have coming through? Sure. So, so you know, one of the first um, and major ones we see a lot of this time of year in particular, we all know everyone's on holiday, everyone's relaxing by the pool or at the ocean, the seaside, depending where you are. And, and drownings are a very real part mm-hmm. of that, unfortunately. 
um, again, it's it's all about staying vigilant, seeing what's going on, and avoiding these kind of things, especially when children and, and younger people are involved. Um, but if if someone has ended up unfortunately in a pool or in the ocean and, and has then drowned, the first thing to remember for you as as a bystander or person there is to be safe yourself. Um, there's mm-hmm. no point in running into the ocean and becoming a patient yourself, and you know, adding to the the challenging situation. But if it's safe to get the person out of the water, that's obviously the first the first port of call. Um, you know, drownings are quite a serious matter, so early activation or early contacting of emergency service is crucial, mm-hmm. so that we can get going while while you're doing what you can. Uh, and then turning the patient on their side, if they're not breathing, initiating CPR, which we'll have a quick chat about mm-hmm. towards the end of this. Um, but really, that is those are the main things there. Um, vigilance is the big one there. Once once the drowning's happened, it, there's not too much that the bystander can do. That's where the professionals have to take over and, and make sure that. What can be done is done. Okay, so it's one thing to be in the ocean and to have a sort of accident, a drowning accident. Mm. But let's talk about people in their homes. I would imagine if you look away from your toddler, your four-year-old, your five-year-old for five minutes, you run to the loo quick, maybe make some tea. You Mm. think your kid playing outside is safe uh, because perhaps if they were to fall in, maybe you think they they would know what to do. Mm. Also, perhaps you think you would hear a splash. Is that not necessarily the case? No, no. Look, uh, the reality is 10 seconds is too long. I mean, it, even looking away for a second uh, is just too much with, with kids and that kind of thing. There, there is no substitute for having a covered pool or a fence around the pool and, and avoiding that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Or if the child or, or pool is uncovered and the child is outside, is to just be vigilant and, and watch them every step that they're taking. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there, there's a, an old adage of one can technically drown in a teaspoon of water, which is very true. Mm-hmm. There doesn't need to be a splash. They don't need to fall in the deep end. It, you know, it could be... In, in ankle deep water, unfortunately, mm-hmm. that it could happen. So really, the, the only way around that is either to have the pool covered or secured and obviously keep a close eye on the child um, or toddler. I would imagine a lot of people think my kid knows how to swim, therefore they don't need supervision. Uh, I don't imagine that's the case. What is a good mm-hmm. age, perhaps, to maybe allow your children to be alone around the pool all day? Look, um, you know, even if the child can swim and it was a strong swimmer, mm. if they slip and fall and knock their head, you know, that, that all goes out the window, unfortunately. So there is really no, there's no benchmark sort of age where you can say it's now safe to leave your child unattended. Mm-hmm. It really is a case of, of being hyper vigilant around the I pool. I would imagine in a family that has some teenagers, possibly, it would be good to have a rule in your home. Maybe no one's allowed in the pool without a buddy. Have a certainly, buddy system. Certainly. Because anything can go wrong, even if you, like you say, you are the best swimmer. Um, let's get the other horrible one out of the way, Richard. Uh, road accidents this time of year. Um, Joburg's roads are quieter. We were talking about how beautiful traffic is at the moment. Mm. It doesn't take away the risk. People traveling, what advice do you have? Look, again, there's no rush to get anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the holiday season is long and, 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 and there's lots of time ahead. The five or ten minutes you'll save by rushing from one point to the next not, just isn't worth it. So speed is obviously, as we know, one of the major issues on our roads. Mm-hmm. Um, taking it slow, planning ahead, those are the big things. The other one, unfortunately, is with the festive season and all the parties and, and, and festivities carrying on is alcohol. Mm-hmm. There, there really just is no – there's no margin for error with, with alcohol and driving. It just shouldn't be done. Um, we unfortunately see a huge number of, of road accidents due to you know, alcohol and excessive speed. And the, just the simple one is don't do it. And that, that is the simple solution to that particular problem. Once, once someone who's intoxicated has gotten behind the wheel, you know, the outcome is unfortunately more often than not, not going to be a positive one. So, so that really is the, the very simple, <laughs> simple answer to that question. 
Okay, now, uh, just before the show, uh, Richard, you and I were having a chat, and something which I never really thought about is you mentioned, what, what was it, the four, the, the big four? And these are things yeah. like when you go to a bride, you don't think of these little dangers, uh, like the danger literally starts when you get there. Yeah. So tell us a little bit, bit more about that. So we, we spoke about the, the, the bride and the festivities, or the cooking in the kitchen even, I mean, mm-hmm. both of them, uh, and the fact that when you have heat or flames involved, burns are a very real possibility, uh, mm-hmm. whether they be burns from the bride itself or just being in the sun too long and being you know, burnt by a wonderful African sun. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the, the reality of when fires are being lit or the, or the meat is being turned of people burning hands and faces and things is, is very, very common. You know, and I think some small tips around that, apart from again, the vigilance that I keep saying is if a burn has occurred is, is to get that burn cooled as quickly as possible, not, not plunging into an ice cold bucket of beer, but to, okay. to have cool running water over, over that, that site, mm-hmm. uh, preferably clean water if one can. Um, and, and to remove any tight objects like wedding bands or watches or, or tight belts and things if it's, if it's that area. Because when that appendage starts swelling due to the burn, okay. that constriction can actually become more of a problem than the burn itself. Mm. Those so, are things you never think about. The, the little things, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so that, this is, I would imagine, from the start. Let's pretend we're having a family bri, we've got people coming over. So literally right from the beginning, there's danger. You need to look out. Yeah. Uh, what are the other three that we? So we covered the first, all the, oh, dr- the, the drownings, the drownings, course, and the alcohol, and the driving. Careful, yeah. Driving. All right. <laughs> the, the the last one really in that that set of four, if you will, um, which is possibly counterintuitive to some people. This this festive time of the year is unfortunately a, a rather high rate of of depression and suicide. Yes. Um, we we do see an elevated number of, of of suicides or attempted suicides, calls for help, that kind of thing this time of year. Um, and with that, really, it's there are various helplines available, family support structures, and, and being very aware of, of how your loved one is feeling and just spending that extra bit of time, not to assume that someone has a support structure. You know, just be there for one another. That's, that's so the next this stuff. one is a bit more tough. It's not as simple as sort of watching your kid at the pool no. or ensuring that you don't drink and drive. This is something that's going on in private, perhaps. Um, yeah. Maybe some warning signs. Do you know any of that type of thing? I mean, you guys obviously deal with the thing once it's happened. Mm. But, I mean, like you say, prevention. Yeah, the, the reality with, with those kind of, um, not disorders, but, but challenges are that they are so varied. It is very difficult to give key signs. Someone that's very withdrawn, appears sad, not wanting to participate in anything are, are, are quite easy ones or obvious ones. But they aren't always, the signs aren't always quite that obvious, unfortunately. Um, throw into the mix a few drinks or, or in the festivities and that unfortunately exacerbates the situation and, and can, can compound an unhappy person even further. Is there anything you can do in terms of not leaving things lying around? I, I, I know this is a terrible subject, but for instance, you maybe don't leave pills lying around, don't leave certain types of rope or razors lying around. I mean, it's a horrible way to think, but is this a necessity? Look, if, if, there's, a, if there's a history of that kind of behavior, mm-hmm. those things should be considered. I think it's mm-hmm. quite difficult to say, you know, he isn't feeling too great as hide all the pills. Yeah. But, but if there's a history of, of attempted um, suicide or, or depression or that kind of thing, one certainly shouldn't leave, especially medication. It's a very easy, easy option. Uh, you shouldn't leave those lying around, keep them locked away, keep them safe. Um, as for the rest of it, you know, if someone really wants to go that route, they will find a way. Unfortunately, it's just one of those things. But but you do need to be hyper vigilant again uh, about mm-hmm. about what uh, those warning signs. Okay, Richard, it's one thing to talk about preventing all of these things. Sure. What about once it's happened? Now it's happened. I've realized it. What do I do first? 
Right. So if it is a major incident, the first thing to do is call the emergency services. You know, NFK 911 is, is one of those that, that you can contact. Um, and we, we have a, a value that we've espoused for quite some time, which we refer to as, as time saves lives. Um, okay. you know, time is critical and is crucial. Um, often people will say, you know, look, we'll, we'll see how it goes. We'll wait it out. Um, if they're not feeling too great, we'll sort things out later. By that time, it's often too late. So mm-hmm. really time is very, very critical. Also, when, when contacting emergency services, it is important to remember the, the key information. And, and yeah. you, you might get very frustrated in that, in the heat of the moment mm-hmm. where they ask you for, for your, your address, your phone number, your name. You know, you might wonder why they're delaying. I'm trying to tell them what's wrong with the patient. The reality there is if the line gets cut off, that's mm-hmm. the only means to get back to you. So they would rather get that information out of you first before Correct. finding out all Correct. the nitty gritty about the patients. Correct. I mean, if you think about it, if you've called in and you get cut off, Mm-hmm. Halfway through a story, we have no contact number to get back to you. Mm. That that whole thing becomes quite quite challenging. So, even if we can't get back to you after the fact, if we have your address, someone will be sent to assist you. So, also, I think in that emergency, it's good to, if there are a group of people, to let the most calm person phone the one who's going to get the information across. Sure. Don't just let the most hysterical mm. person phone That's the correct. ambulance. Okay, and preferably also the person that knows where they are. I mean, with with all yeah. the travelling and visiting friends this time of year, you might not be at home. You might not. Know the landmarks or the address. Uh, it's important to get that kind of information across correctly so that the emergency services can make it to you on, in a timeless fashion. Okay, Richard, let's just stay on this point a bit. Let's say I am in Durban, for instance, and I dial 082911. Now, does that go to a national sort of hotline? And then, or do they kind of know what area I'm in? So, so we do have a national call center. It's based here in, in Gauteng. Um, with the advances in smartphones and all the rest of it, geolocation is a very real possibility and something we do pursue quite actively. But if small little things like your GPS or whatever on your phone isn't enabled, we won't be able to see where you're, where you're calling mm-hmm. from. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is important to say, I'm in Durban and this is where I am. So, so just mm-hmm. to give that context as well. The, the beauty, once we know where it is, it's plotted on a, a, a map with which all the vehicles that we have in our, our fleet and, and additional resources that we have available to us are linked to and you will be sent the closest one mm-hmm. to your your actual location which is really the way we try and try and do things to expedite the process okay interesting also something that i only found out a few years ago is when you're driving along the highway you see all those little blue wooden boards that have those weird yes. numbers on it <laughs> i didn't realize those are sort of geographical markers for paramedics and police so yeah. if ever you in an emergency the, the nearest board to you you give them that number correct and yeah it's, so those are root markers those are yeah. identifiers we, we are moving very rapidly with advances in technology to a point where those might become obsolete because with, as I've said, with your phone, with the smartphones mm-hmm. these days, you know, that, that does assist greatly in the process as well, but it's still important to keep an eye out for those kind of, um, of, of signs and things. Yeah. Okay. So we were getting off topic. Sorry, we were talking yes. <laughs> about what we do in the emergency. Sure. So the first thing again is preparations, being prepared for these things. And then we don't, as you said, we don't want to think negatively about it, but something as simple as having a box of plasters, some bandages, some antiseptic cream, that kind of thing in the home mm-hmm. you know, is a starting point. Is, is a starting point to control some of the things like the bleedings, infection, and, and the rest of it. With, um, with the minor cuts and bruises and, and that sort of thing, you know, hemorrhage control or, or, or controlling the bleeding is your priority if it's a major bleed in particular. And, and that's achieved by placing pressure directly on the site of the bleeding of the wound or just above. When I say just above is obviously to occlude any kind of artery or, or vein that's causing the bleeding mm-hmm. uh, and also to a degree um, will supplement the pressure on the wound itself and allow it to clot and, and close up. So from a cuts and bruises point of view, that's that's really the big thing. The other big one which I wanted to chat about, um, Jonathan, was, was, was the CPR. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, CPR is 
been around for many, many years now. Um, it's gone through a number of changes and, and a lot of people in the past have said, well, you know, I don't know the person or I don't want to get that close to the person and breathe into their mouth. And, you know, with all the diseases we have these days, it's, it's a risk. So over the last decade, um, you know, the big organizations that, that review CPR itself uh, around the world have moved towards something called hands-only CPR. Um, okay. Which is which is obviously taking out the whole mouth to mouth aspect completely, mm-hmm. and that is if, if you've seen an adult or or an adolescent for that matter collapse, um, it really is a case of putting both hands in the middle of the chest and pushing at a rate of 100 beats per minute, and that's it. That is CPR in this day and age for the bystander, for the non medical professional. That's mm. all you need to do, and that that can prolong the time that the person is viable for the emergency service to get there, and can actually and has been shown to improve um, survivability or double the chances of survivability in witnessed collapse. Okay, so now I'm confused in terms of CPR. Is it really about getting air into the lungs, or is it more about keeping the person's heart beating? Right. So so what the it's really not about the air at all anymore. Okay. That That's from years gone by. That's been learned through the studies and tests and things. That isn't, that isn't the priority. The priority is really to massage the heart, if you will, to keep the blood flowing through the body and perfusing the vital organs. Um, like the brain that can't sustain mm-hmm. without blood flow or oxygenation for any period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, purely by the, the changes in pressure inside the chest from the compressions, there's enough air movement to mm. support the oxygenation process. So the breathing into the person's mouth is really no longer um, a major thing for the bystander. So this actually sounds quite simple then. So for every minute, you put your hands in the middle of the chest and you push down 100 times. Correct. For every 60 correct. seconds. Now, there's a couple of easy ways to, to get that rate correct. Um, Slightly corny, the one of them, but but the BG song "Staying Alive." Um, how does it go? <laughs> I won't I won't sing it for you, uh, but uh, okay. But but that but that um, mm-hmm. that beat is a hundred beats per minute. So the beat of the song is a hundred beats per minute. Okay. Right now, for the for the Star Wars fans out there, um, the Imperial March, Darth Vader's entrance theme, mm-hmm. one hundred and four beats per minute. So if you can hum that. That's incredible. <laughs> that's that's the right rate I'm sure to be anybody compressing. Anybody can do that. It, really, anyone can do that. Um, there have actually been multiple stories of children managing to do it because um, of that. Just because it's so simple. But can you imagine now this person has collapsed? You on top of them pressing down, singing the Darth Vader entrance song. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you can hum it to yourself. It might be more appropriate. But in terms of just understanding how easy it really is. That that's as, as simple as it is for for CPR, and it's a major major thing. It really is simple, and like you say, it's just about keeping them alive until the paramedics get there. Don't try to be Superman. You know, we've all seen things on TV where <laughs> they cut open the throat to get airflow back. But I suppose on that subject, choking is also a hazard. What advice do you have? Should someone choke? So choking, yes, choking is the other big one. Having the the borvos around the bri again, going back mm. to the bri. Um, the the Heimlich maneuver, which I suppose we all are familiar with, is also not really the in thing anymore. Mm. Um, providing strong slaps to the back between the shoulder blade is actually the preferred manner of of dislodging dislodging a, a oh, piece of meat or foreign body that's that's obstructed the airway. Okay. Um, choking is is one of the easier ones to identify. Um, yeah, okay. You know, the person will be turning blue or purple. Uh, mm-hmm. Generally, have their hands around or near their throat, indicating that they're choking. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of the universal sign, yeah? Pretty much. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the one there. Um, look, if the other part though is if you are by yourself and you have no one around you, you mm-hmm. know, is, and you're choking or what mm-hmm. do you do then? You have a few seconds before you pass out from, from lack of, of oxygenation. Find a chair, get your, get your abdomen over the chair and actually just forcefully drop yourself onto the, re- the rear of the chair rest, um, mm-hmm. to get that force and try and dislodge the clot, try and cough 
try and try and get that object out. So those are options. Okay, you can so you would well. so you would say avoid Heimlich maneuver if you can. Uh, you say pats on the back. Whereabouts? Mm. Middle middle of the back. Right between the shoulder blades. Okay, you kind of bend the person over. I would imagine, or just whatever. A, it doesn't really matter. It was, and it's quite a solid wallop to, mm. <laughs> between the shoulder blades. Um, the Heimlich maneuver is still out there. People are still doing it and trying it. It just has been shown not to be as effective as the slaps to the to the back. Okay. I also just talking about the Heimlich maneuver. They it is dangerous for children under a certain age. You can damage ribs and puncture lungs Correct. and all sorts of things Correct. like that. There are some risks involved. Um, those risks are generally outweighed by the benefit of dislodging the choking ob- or the object obstructing the airway. Mm-hmm. So. With CPR as well, just to jump back to that quickly, if, if ribs do crack while you're pushing on the chest, that's all right. That's quite a normal, mm. quite a normal thing. Um, in the efforts to adequately compress the heart and really keep that key function going, that's the sort of collateral damage, if you will, in the process. Okay. All right. Something else I don't think uh, we take seriously enough is bee stings this time of year. You know, everyone, like you say, is by the pool and stuff. And I think a lot of people who haven't been stung don't actually know if they're allergic or not. So sure. uh, do you see instances of that rising this time of year? Look, the, 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 the instances of stings from bees, spider bites, all the rest of that kind of thing stay fairly constant throughout mm-hmm. the year. Um, there is an elevation over the, the spring and summer months when people start spending more time outside and all the yeah. rest of it, but not specifically over the Christmas period as such. With, with the, the bee sting, it's, it's a, a difficult one, as you say, because most people don't know whether they are or aren't allergic. Mm-hmm. Um, a, good, a good indication is to keep an eye on the actual site of the sting. If it starts becoming red and swollen very rapidly okay. or one gets a scratchiness in the throat, that's, that's a pretty important sign to not to overlook. So should we all, just in our normal medicine cabinet, be keeping some sort of antihistamine or something like that? The, the antihistamine will help for the localized site of the sting. Oh, um, if, if you are truly allergic, it's not going to do a whole bunch. Um, it, it will help. It might slow the process and, again, allow the emergency services more time to get to you. But that won't actually prevent a true um, allergic reaction from taking place. I also would imagine trying to get a pull down the throat of someone who's having an, an allergic reaction is quite difficult. So, it's especially near impossible, child. sure. Child. Yeah. All right, Richard, you know, the time's gone so fast. We're already <laughs> like halfway through. So I just want to say thanks so much for joining us. I really wish you well over the season. Um, we can keep up with you guys. It's at uh, netcare underscore, no, netcare911 underscore SA. Correct, yes. Okay, cool. And then, of course, that emergency number, wherever you are in South Africa, is 082911. And that's from uh, any cell phone network, eh? Correct, yes. All right, Richard, thank you so much. Thanks, uh, really, I, I'm sure we've helped some people. And yeah, in your time of need and your time of emergency, I think the best thing is just to be calm, if that is possible. No, that's it. That's it. That's it. Thank right. you very much to you, Jonathan, and your listeners. Have a great festive season. Thank you. Health Hour on cliffcentral.com. At Sibanye Gold, we believe leaders are made, not born. We also believe we can create a sustainable legacy by helping to develop tomorrow's leaders today. Which is why we have partnered with the Leadership Platform to nurture leaders who are committed to growing our country's economy. We are proud to say it's an initiative that's already showing glittering results. Sibanye Gold. We are one. Health Hour 
on cliffcentral.com. Yes, Jonathan Sinclair standing in for Dr. Cindy this Monday morning. Now, we just spoken to Richard Mulder from Netcare 911 about some holiday safety tips, what to do in an emergency. And knowledge really is just power. Just in those situations, you can save a person's life and rather just be safe than sorry. But now, talking uh, to a new guest of mine, he's joining me via Skype. Con Burtish is a cancer survivor. He's now a motivational speaker and author, and he's really been doing amazing things. Uh, Con, uh, let's t- see the Skype line. How's it, Con? Hey, hi, Jonathan. Hey. It's Con from Cape Town. Hey, man. How's it going? Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. So, Con, won't you just tell us a little bit about your story? Obviously, it's hard to sum up your entire life in a few minutes, but won't you just tell us the gist of it and how you came to be where you are now in your life? Okay, cool. I mean, yeah. So, so basically, my story with, is one that is was is affected by a, by uh, cancer, mm-hmm. which was a, a biggie, brain cancer, and um, <clears throat> it it was about nine years ago when I was I noticed I've been in advertising for for the last twenty years, and um, and about nine years ago I I started um, realizing that I was slurring my words slightly. Okay. Okay. And I realized that I was I was my balance was a little bit off. Mm-hmm. I was tripping on things and I was, mm-hmm. started getting these really vicious headaches. Mm-hmm. And um, I went to a myriad of different doctors trying to determine what these headaches and what these headaches were. And they were, you know, they considered, oh, well, you know, you're in advertising. This is a, it's a very stressful industry. That's stress. It must be stress, stress headaches. Mm-hmm. And obviously at the time I was spending a lot of, a lot of uh, my 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 days and nights working in advertising with a big goal of of transforming the the agency which I had taken over into a into a, um, a a top creative agency and so I was putting a lot of energy into that and probably disregarding a lot of issues that and the health issues that that I I should have been more aware of mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. lack of sleep a whole lot of those things and um, <clears throat> anyway so these doctors were giving me vitamin B injections in my left or right buttock on a regular mm-hmm. basis, but they weren't working. Okay. Um, and after about a month uh, or more, it was, um, I, I actually was at home and I, somebody phoned my house and I, I wrote and they wanted to speak to my wife, Heidi. And I wrote down um, the person's number on a piece of paper to call them back. And I wrote down um, 083455 and I wrote the number down. And then I put the phone down. I looked down at the page, and I saw that my writing was really bad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, scary. And then I also noticed that I had written O nine three instead of O eight three. So I I corrected the nine into an eight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when my pen came off the page, I realized I'd written nine again. Oh no. So almost you knew what you wanted to do inside of your head, but you couldn't get that message through to your hand. Exactly. So I wanted to write an eight. So I took another piece of paper and I wrote an eight. Mm-hmm. And when I looked at the page, it was a nine. Mm-hmm. These are really then, scary things that are happening to you. You almost feel powerless. You don't know what's going on. I can just imagine what you were going through at that period. Well, that's it. I think, I think that is, so that, that powerlessness is, is a very important part of, of the work that I'm doing now is at that moment, yes, completely out of, out of control because your, your mind is telling 
your body to write something mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. isn't responding properly. And that is the power of, of the, the brain and how, how just how complicated and, and intricate our, our brains are and how they, mm-hmm. they help us perform, you know, even the most simple, the most simple tasks. So that, that, that experience sent me to uh, um, a neurologist. Mm-hmm. to work out what was going on in my brain because this was serious stuff. Um, and that ended up with an MRI scan mm-hmm. that showed a tumor the size of a squash ball um, in the back of my brain. Sure. Um, and then it was, um, I, you know, then, then it was emergency surgery straight away. Um, sure. And basically what was happening is this tumor was, was causing a disconnect between my left and right, right hemispheres. Mm-hmm. So I could do the top half of the eight, but I couldn't cross my midline to come back. I just went straight up to, to form a nine. Very interesting stuff. And that actually began my interest in in neuroscience and neuropsychology and, and the science called psychoneuroimmunology, which is how your mind affects how your body behaves. But more so how your your brain is 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 really your key element. Without without that thing you, you can't operate at all. Okay, so, so um, Con, sorry just to stop you there. How old were you at this point in your life? I mean, you're obviously an adult. You've got a career on the go. So how old were you? 34 years old. 34 years old. Two eh? kids. Uh, two kids. I had a one-and-a-half-year-old son and mm-hmm. a, a three-and-a-half-year-old daughter at the, at the time. Sure. So you go for this MRI scan. They find this thing the size of a squash ball in the back of your brain, operate immediately. What was that process like? Um, I mean, I can imagine quite a painful operation, lots of recovery time. And then also I would imagine then they want to treat you with chemotherapy or radiation. Well, that's it. That, that's the, 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 the kind of the normal story is that you, you, you go in and, and, and this was, this is the part, the very, this is the crux of, of the issue that, that caused me to do what I'm doing, which was I was faced with signing this form before the double, because I went for two brain surgeries, mm. micro brain surgeries, um, one to relieve the pressure and then the other one, uh, 24 hours later to try and get as much of the tumor out as possible. Mm. Um, and, I had to sign these forms for brain, for these brain surgeries that I was undergoing and the forms were insane. I've actually dubbed them the world's most terrifying forms because they, they literally say, look, we're going to try and get the tumor out as, as much of it as we can, but you must realize that we're working in the brain. Yeah. So even though you might wake up, well, you might not, but you also, even though you might wake up, you, you may, you may not feel like yourself again. Mm-hmm. And I would and imagine they ask some you senses. Yeah, yeah. They they would ask you like, for instance, should you wake up and you're like this, or you're on a ventilator? What do you want to happen? Do they ask you those questions? Well, they 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 do, but but the the stuff they do, but they they also have other things. You basically got to sign this form that says, mm-hmm. look, that I might they, I might survive the surgery, but I might be blind, oh, no. and I might have lost my senses, uh, my sense of balance, or mm-hmm. my speech, or my hearing. Those mm-hmm. are the things that I. Because they're digging around in your brain, mm. and they're working in the working part of the brain. They are, they are kind of, yeah, they are doing surgery in in the working part of your brain. So I decided at that moment, and this is the the crux of what I'm doing. At that moment, I decided, okay, I'm going to play a role. I, I'm I'm not going to be just a traditional patient. Mm-hmm. I believe in the mind body connection. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to prepare my brain for the surgery that's coming up, mm-hmm. and. I imagined my brain was this bouncy thing, this bouncy thing, this bouncy brain. I called it the bouncy brain. Mm-hmm. No matter what they took out of my brain, 
it would just bounce back into shape. So I kind of prepared it. I had this weird visualization that I was working on, like, and even had a sound to it, the bouncing brain. It was kind of crazy, but it, it gave me something to do because I believe that your mind affects how your body behaves. I mean, that's just that's just science. That's just straight neuroscience. Is your if you can if you can think about something in your body, you can affect it in some way. And that's the science of psychoneuroimmunology, how your mind affects how your body behaves. And I, I was started playing with this thing and making my brain pliable. Mm-hmm. And my surgeries went very well. And it was great. But for me, it fed me. It gave me a role in my own healing. And that's something that I continued for the, the years of, of treatment that I underwent. And it was all of those. So as the tumor came out, um, most of the tumor came out, I had to go for then follow up on what type of cancer it was and wait for five days when it was sent to the lab. And then it came back and it was a rare form of adult cancer called uh, medulloblastoma, um, which is very, yeah, which is kind of more prevalent for children under the age of five. Mm-hmm. So everyone was scratching their heads as to why a 34-year-old guy had had this type of cancer made sense to a lot of my family and friends because I've always been told I was very childish. I should grow up, <laughs> take this more seriously. But in a way, that that playfulness helped because I I started do to augment my treatments using this thinking, this playful thinking, which I started doing with my bouncy brain. Mm-hmm. I started seeing myself. I engaged with the the chemotherapy and the radiation. And the other things I underwent, and I turned them, I almost gamified them. So I, I, I really was involved. I was, I was imagining the, the chemotherapy as this fizzing kind of roller coaster rise of, of ride of fizzing action that was fizzing these cells out of my body, and I would expel them at a later point. And I really used, I began using the world as almost my metaphorical playground, mm-hmm. where I was walking and imagining I was leaving cancer cells behind me. And so what I had done, and, and as the as the the months wore on, um, I I started kind of looking at other people because I'm very interested in humans, um, and I started doing um, these portraits. I did about 150 portraits of other people that I met along the way in hospitals, etc. And I realized that the the majority of them were. Um, they were lost. They were, they had no role. They had never been given a role in their own healing. Mm-hmm. And what I was doing by creating a role for myself, I wasn't helpless. When humans are helpless, their immune systems are, are compromised. Mm-hmm. That's what happens in the fight and flight. Like, Oh, I don't have a role in anything. Humans often fall into depression. Okay. Um, what I had done is I had given myself a role in my own healing. So I wasn't helpless. I had a job to do. Mm-hmm. I believe I, I had I could have an effect, and this is where, where science, technology, and medicine are now merging together, and they're showing how things like psychoneuroimmunology, how what you're doing in your mind, you're the psych- psychology of yourself, how that affects your immune system. Mm-hmm. So, as I went through this process and and the years that followed, I started realizing that like not only had these other people facing cancer, they'd never been given a role in their own healing. Mm-hmm. They also, many of them couldn't see the role in their own healing because the majority of people are not visual thinkers. And I've been a visual thinker for the last 15 years. So I, I didn't 
I, it came naturally to me. And most people can be visual thinkers, but they've never been taught or it's not part of their lives. You know, visuals are provided to them on their multiple screens. Okay. So I thought, well, I could, if I could show them or I, if I could create tools that could help, you know, your, your regular patient see what's going on inside their bodies and, and, and begin to imagine and play a role in their own healing, augmenting their, their different treatments and boosting their own immune systems, then we would have a different, it's almost changing the, the lexicon of, of cancer, which is you're diagnosed with this thing and that's you out of the picture. And, and that this is what science and this is where I'm getting a lot of amazing support from, from the medical fraternity. Um, and I have literally opened, I opened the, the Society of International um, Pediatric Oncology, the conference in, in, uh, at the CTICC in Cape Town mm-hmm. in November. And I literally opened it to about 1,400 pediatric oncologists and cancer practitioners. And I literally opened this talk and I was a bit worried about it because these guys are staunch, you know, they deal with life and death. They don't take things lightly, new treatments lightly. But I talked about this approach of, which is this new entity that I'm building called Cancer Dojo, Mm -hmm. which is a place where people can connect to what's going on inside them and, and boost their own immune systems and change the way that people view cancer. Because at the moment, it's such a scary thing. It's such a scary thing that it dis, it dis, people disconnect from their cancers because it's so scary. And that, and that approach is, it's just, it's not good for your healing system because when you're in that, 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 that fearful, helpless space, your immune system is compromised. As soon as you take a role and play a role in it, suddenly you're not, you're not helpless. Your immune system is stronger. So there are amazing techniques and strategies to help people be, um, to boost their immune systems or to be more positive. Okay, so Con, you're giving people these images, is that correct? I'm just actually on your Cancer Dojo website, and for instance, I'm seeing a little cartoon. It says, imagine your cancer is a hot air balloon, you are a giant safety pin, and then you see the giant safety pin like pointing at the hot air balloon. So it's these little images that can really make more playful images in the mind of what is going on inside a person dealing with cancer. Yeah, Jonathan, that, that, that's one element of them. So that for mm. me, that's almost the start of, of getting people to start engaging mm-hmm. in their own cancer, not disconnecting. So everybody mm. can imagine. And if I can spark imagination in yeah. people, and this is a project that I'm working with, um, a range of different big um, global partners to change the way that basically change the lexicon of, of cancer around the world. Mm-hmm. So I am working with, at the moment, uh, 18 diff- 19 different JWT offices, which was an old agency that I used to work for on their, on their global creative council. And I'm basically going to be working with Google as well. And it looks like Facebook too, in terms of how we can, because one of the issues that I've, I've got is that when people are diagnosed with a specific cancer, whether it's a liver cancer or whatever, they walk out of the, um, the oncology room and they Google liver cancer. Oof, and then goodness. the stuff that comes yeah. up is absolutely shocking. I can just imagine. That causes, it causes people to disconnect. So what I'm doing is I'm using all of this content, this imagine your cancer, and I'm going to affect Google search results together with Google and a range of different big global partners. Mm-hmm. And this is the beginning of, 
of changing the way the world deals with cancer. Um, and then it starts going into other, a whole lot of other approaches. So the other one is a mobile app that I'm working on as well as a whole lot of different kind of stimulus in terms, some of it's just look like collateral, um, all sorts of different things, um, books that I'm going to be bringing out and workbooks for people to actually start engaging, helping them to engage. Everyone can think visually. At yeah. the moment, this is a, a problem because, you know, a, a lot of people don't think that they are creative in any way. And it takes that kind of mindset to imagine something. And this is where I do a lot of talks for um, um, creative agencies. Um, and I've done one recently. I opened the Italian Design Festival in, in Milan. Um, to over, literally over, over, geez, how many was it? Was, it was 1,800, um, designers, Italian designers. Mm, no pressure. And talked about, and I opened the conference with, with like you, you guys don't realize how lucky you are because you're able to, you have the skills now and the talents because you've worked on them. You're able to take something that's invisible and make it visible. The majority of people in the world don't have that talent yet. They can, but they don't, they've never practiced it. Mm -hmm. So, when you can take something that's invisible, which is cancer, it's inside you, you don't know how to deal with it. But if you can make it visible and so that you can engage with it in your own unique way, suddenly it changes the game. It, and this is where a lot of, uh, a lot of doctors, uh, Red Cross Children's Hospital, I've got professors of, 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 of science and medicine and, and Dr. Tim Noakes, uh, Prof Noakes, um, I've just got so many of these doctors are coming to me saying, this is exactly what we need. This is the future of medicine where humans are playing a role in their own healing together with the medicine. It's not a this or that. You can augment your treatments using your thinking. Mm -hmm. And I think society is moving to a space where we are understanding things like meditation, qigong, um, yoga, these things which, which have an effect on your, your mindfulness and how you can play a role in yourself and it's really an understanding of yourself within a space. And as soon as you can do that, you essentially, and this is what all the doctors are agreeing upon is that you stand a, a, a better chance of more positive, um, um, uh, recovery, hmm. um, outcome, more positive outcome. So, you know, some people believe it, it's, it, it can add a lot more and some people believe it can add less, but all believe that it can only do good. So surely, and this is my thinking too, is a lot of top sports people use this kind of stuff. And I use the example of Tiger Woods in a lot of the talks that I do is Tiger Woods before he did the whole, his whole lady issue. Yeah. He, you know, he was arguably, arguably and still is arguably one of the world's, you know, greatest sports people. He was able to achieve these things. And, and what he used with his sports psychologist, he used a similar approach where he was able to connect his mind to his body in a way that enabled it to perform at its absolute peak. Mm -hmm. And my thinking is, well, and a lot of sports people do this. So I thought this is, you know, surely if you're facing cancer or death, Surely you want your mind and your body to perform at absolute peak so that you have stand the best chance of overcoming that obstacle, mm -hmm. achieving that goal. And yeah. that's what I'm working with, with, with all of these different entities that are now coming together to, to build this thing and to change the global lexicon around cancer. Because at the moment it's fear based. Mm. People even use the word cancer as a, as a, as an adjective, um, for other things that are negative.
Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't have to be. And I, I, I often do another talk, which is, a, which is the one I did to all the pediatric oncologists. I said, you know, this is the best time in human history to be diagnosed with cancer. And it is. Mm. Technology, um, sociology and, and science and medicine and creativity are merging to create solutions that have never been, ever been even imagined before. So it's really about changing that mindset because as soon as you change your mindset, you stand a better chance at a more positive outcome. It really is fascinating to me how much our mind and our thoughts does play a role in everything that goes on within our lives. And I think you are just proof of that. But now, where did this inner thing, this inner strength within you come from? I mean, have you always been this way? Have you always been able to overcome issues and just look at the positive side and find solutions? I mean, when you're diagnosed with cancer, you're at the lowest point in your life. But somehow you said, no, this is not me. This is not where I want to be. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I. I think it's it's an interesting question because what what I've been doing as a creative director for so many years is I'm I'm impassioned about about solving problems mm-hmm. using creativity, um, and it really is part of who I am. And a lot of that creativity I've I've run I've run headed up a lot of studios in in my in my career. And one of the things that I do is is I try and engender a space of non-threatening playfulness and um and fun and that's the best way to solve problems because as soon as as soon as you put a whole bunch of people together and ask them to come up with ideas they a lot of people get very scared to put their ideas out because they're not sure what people will think so what i do is i create a space which is totally non-threatening and playful and you can throw out any idea because any idea can be amazing even the worst ideas put them out because Mm -hmm. Somebody else will take that thinking and bounce it somewhere else. And that leads you to somewhere else. So very much the same approach to solving problems, which I had been doing for, for many years, I did, I, I kind of, kind of translated into my own way of dealing with cancer. I started playing with my cancer and coming up with these crazy fun stories and these visual, these visuals and almost animated films in my head which brought my cancer to life in a way that I could deal with it and play with it and come up with other ideas. And I started engaging with it. Mm-hmm. And, and, that, and that was my kind of solve. And the more I did them, the more it helped. And luckily, I had a very forward-thinking oncologist um, who really supported me and was quite amazed with what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And actually, he was the one who, who, um, who kind of said to me, well, geez, you really should start sharing these. And I, I had been thinking about it and it got to a point where I realized as more um, medical people um, heard about it, I realized I needed to really pull this thing off. And I had been carrying it around for three or four years in my backpack. I even call it my, my second tumor because, <laughs> because I, I, I didn't know what to do. It was so large um, in terms of how to bring it to life. And I wasn't getting to it, to it because I was obviously in another role as executive creative director of another agency and I just couldn't do it. And I realized the only way that I had to do it was to resign from my work and focus completely on pulling this idea off. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I did in, on April Fools this year, which was kind of uh, fitting. I resigned from my role <laughs> um, at, at an agency called Quirk 
um, to literally bring this um, ideology to life. And it, it's growing and it's getting the right um, partners around the world involved. Um, but I'm still, I'm still working hard, you know, to make this thing happen. Um, but it'll get there. And yeah, it has, it has the right support. Con, uh, we're almost out of time, but I really, I kind of see your mission. I love where you're going with it. I love that you're working with Google to influence search results when people, for instance, search liver cancer just after they've been diagnosed. I love how you initiate and you say that cancer is used as an adjective for other things. So if someone is a bad seed in the office, they're referred to as a cancer or, you know, we use that word to describe bad things. And I love your purpose of changing that. And I think you really are going to be affecting lives. Just in closing, uh, won't you just tell us how we can keep up? with you how can we can get involved with cancer jojo also about your talk happy people are hard to kill won't you tell us about that cool so happy people are, happy people are harder to kill is a, a phrase that i came up with big, big, after all of this um research that i've been doing about how happy people have stronger immune systems mm-hmm. and they therefore are harder to kill they, they don't get sick as much they're able to be more resilient and bounce back so these are different ways that you can boost your own immune system and at the same time, start getting people to think um, creatively, visually, um, because those things feed you. Mm-hmm. Um, they enable you to engage. Um, you can follow what I'm doing at, at, uh, uh, on Twitter at um, Convertish um, and at Cancer Dojo, um, cancerdojo.org. So it's www.cancerdojo.org. And, um, yeah, I do a range of different talks. They last from between half an hour to an hour. Um, and I'm up in Joburg, uh, a couple of times this, this, uh, in January and February. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And, um, that's what I'm up to. And I'm working on some workbooks and some books around how to literally, these are tools to help people engage in ways that are unique to who they are mm-hmm. with, their disease. And again, this isn't all about cancer. This is about us humans trying to make our way through, you know, uh, across and, and, and through these challenges that are thrown at us in our daily lives. But my story is is cancer-based, yeah. Mm. Con, really, you truly are an inspiration. I wish you luck with everything. I know you're going to do amazing things and you're going to really impact people. Um, and I really do hope that one day we'll have you in studio here on the Health Hour and you can uh, join Dr. Cindy or myself and just really, I think it'll be fantastic to meet you and I wish you all the luck. Super, Jonathan. Thanks for the opportunity to chat. Cool, Con. Have a good day. Cheers. Bye-bye. Okay. All right, so that's been it for this edition of the Health Hour. Jonathan Sinclair standing in for Dr. Cindy. She will be back soon. But until then, stay tuned to Cliff Central. Health Hour on cliffcentral.com.